Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. Welcome to Magnificat Proclaims, presented to you by Magnificat, a ministry to Catholic women. Whether this is your first time you've listened to our program, or you have been with us many times before, we are delighted that you have joined us. I'm Donna Ross, your host for today's program. We pray that today may be a special day in your life as you experience through the personal testimony of our featured guest, the presence of Jesus Christ among us. He is alive and well. Magnificat taken from Luke chapter 1, is the great hymn of praise that Mary prayed while visiting her cousin Elizabeth. Both women had been deeply touched by God. Elizabeth was bearing a long-awaited child. Mary was carrying within her womb the very Son of God. They came together to help one another, to speak of God's action in their lives, to sing, to pray, to share a common faith, and to be strengthened for all that was to come. Like Mary and Elizabeth, We want to come together in God's presence and proclaim the Almighty has done great things for me and you, and holy is his name. This Magnificat Proclaims series features Catholic Christian women who have shared their testimony at one of the many Magnificat chapters hosting quarterly meals around the world. Typically, this three-hour gathering provides opportunity for a shared meal, fellowship, communal praise and worship, personal testimony of one woman's expression of God's action in her life and intercessory prayer for the needs of the church and of those present. We trust that these testimonies will help each of us come to better understand that we are truly children of God, made in His image and likeness. We are daughters of the King. 
It is my privilege to introduce our speaker, Annette Baber, a very popular speaker at Magnificat Meals and Conferences. Annette was born into an Orthodox Jewish family. After she was married and had a son, she felt her world crumbling, and feeling she was a failure as a wife and mother, she had a nervous breakdown and contemplated suicide. God sovereignly spoke to her, and the next day she began to read the New Testament Gospels and then cried out to the Father. She immediately committed her life to Christ, and the miracles began to happen. She has founded two Magnificat chapters and is coordinator of a chapter just outside of Chicago. She is a regional team member for Magnificat. It is my pleasure once again to introduce Annette Baber. I just want to pray a prayer my grandfather prayed for me, my Jewish grandfather. Father God, make me a menshala which is a blessing to God and a blessing to you. So be it. And Baruch Hashem HaMashiach Yeshua. I just want to dedicate this testimony to the holy, my holy and your holy Jewish mother in heaven, Mary, the mother of God, Saint Anne, and Saint Edith Stein, who I believe, Teresa Benedicta, who I believe prayed for me to become a Jewish Christian Catholic. I was named Anna Miriam, how do you like that? There's something in a name, isn't there? <laughs> That's why I say that to you. And this is gonna be a miracle if I can get through this 66 years and 40 minutes, I don't know. Let me just begin by saying I was born in Des Moines, Iowa, to Orthodox Jewish parents. One of my grandfathers was a Sephardic Jew. He was from Spain. He was just beautiful. And when I was three years old, I'll never forget it. He gave me what is called the blessing. He put his hand on my head and he said, this child will be a blessing to God and to her family. Do you know it's so important to bless our children, especially grandparents. I never forgot it. I remember it. And you know that's very traditionally Jewish anyway. The, the grandfathers and fathers bless their children. I had two brothers and two sisters. My daddy was the athletic director at the Jewish Community Center in Iowa. He was a social worker. And my grandfather, who we lived with because we all kind of lived together then, it was so wonderful. My grandparents kept kosher. So we'd walk up the hill to the synagogue and Temple Beth or House of Light. And it was so beautiful. It looked very Catholic, you know. I loved my grandfather. And he was so full of love, just full of love. And the rabbi was full of love, Rabbi Zeitschik. I loved being Jewish. I loved looking up at the synagogue at the beautiful Jewish star of David. And grandfather would take me. And I remember he had on the tefillim and the yarmulke. And I'd say, Grandfather, what is that around your, your forehead there? And he would say, um, I'd say, what is that all about? Well, I hear God. I hear God through these. You know, this is what he would tell me. I thought, oh, if I could just get them on my head, then I could hear God too. I want to hear him. Grandfather was so wonderfully loving, and he always would say to me, Anala, the Messiah Gekumen. And I would say, what do you, what, 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 what does that mean? The Messiah Gekumen. He's coming in the clouds of heaven. And I would be so excited. I'd run outside, and I'd look in the clouds, and I was wondering when he was going to come, you know. 
during my adolescence, I do want to say my parents had a bad marriage. They loved each other, though. Isn't that weird? But, you know, they really had a bad marriage. We all suffered from it. I, I'm sure many of you have experienced some of that, too. And uh, we did suffer quite a bit. We suffered a lot of persecution from Catholics. Yes, we did. Why do you think I'm in love with Pope John Paul? So much, let me tell you, asking forgiveness. Is that, that was incredible. That was the image of God right in him. And, uh, but anyway, I can remember being called a dirty Jew. I can remember thinking, what is, you killed Christ? And I thought, well, who's Christ? How did I ever kill him? What, what are they talking about? I didn't understand that. And if I would go to, to try to get a job somewhere and I'd put down that I was Jewish, I was immediately rejected. And I remember my Catholic neighbors. And it was so interesting. Isn't it funny how God just puts them right next door to you? Her name was Marie. And she had a very abusive husband. He was an alcoholic. And I would watch her gather the three children up and go to Mass every Sunday. And I admired it. I thought that was so wonderful that she would do that. The houses were very close, and we would hear the, the terrible suffering that went on in that house. And I admired her so much that she'd get those children dressed, and the priest would come over and visit her. I thought, how nice that she had that, that she had something. And guess what? We got a television set, and who happened to be on it? Bishop Sheen. <laughs> Dumont Television. Are some of you old enough to remember that? That, I mean, we had to watch him. What else could we do? There was one station. So there he was, my Jewish mother and father and my, my sisters and brothers, and we're watching Bishop Sheen. There was something about his eyes. I remember looking into them, and I could see eternity. I didn't really understand it at the time. I was such a little girl, but oh, was he. He was anointed. He was so magnificent. As I look back now, it was all that love that just emanated from him. I was the oldest, so I was made to be a little mother to my family. I don't know some of you that are the oldest here, what that feels like. Pressure. I was made to make everybody happy, safe, and good. And then in my teens, I started to take a look at myself. And you know, I really believe God gave me grace because I knew that I was bad. I really did. I took a look at the Ten Commandments my grandfather had taught me by that time he had gone, he had gone to be with the Lord, and I thought, hmm, I can't keep those. I, I really did. God had given me grace to know I couldn't keep them, so I broke them. <laughs> if I didn't break them, if I didn't break them in my actions, I certainly did break them in my thoughts, and so I just said, forget it. That's impossible. I mean, that was pretty smart for a teenage kid to know that then. We cannot do a thing without Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Every day I would drive past the cathedral in Des Moines on my way to school. I went to a technical high school, and there was St. John's Cathedral, and inscribed above there was written the words in Matthew 11, Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I thought, rest? I don't know anything about that. I felt dirty. I felt guilty. I felt inadequate. I felt self-conscious. I was nervous. I couldn't talk in front of people. I couldn't do anything. I was just a mess, a total mess. And, and then I had to take care of all my family because I was the oldest. So, I mean, I, I looked at that and I thought, and those doors on that church were open. 
they were wide open, and I thought, gee, if I go in there, I'm going to get struck by Jewish lightning. It sure looked inviting, and I don't know why, I just knew in the spirit. And I know God was moving and working on me then, that if I went into that church, somehow I would know peace. My family, we were all terrified to die, absolutely terrified of death. We didn't know where we were going. <laughs> it was really very, very scary. So we were always very, very worried all the time. Mama was worried all the time. But I thought if I could get into that church, I would know some peace. Well, finally, as I grew up a little bit here, I decided to go away to art school. My daddy thought I could draw. I applied for an art school in Chicago that was close to the Art Institute. And I worked all summer, guess where? Mercy Hospital, run by the nuns, okay? Here I am in this hospital, and I was really impressed with this beautiful sister. Sister Mary Pauline was her name. She really liked me. She was out to get me, let me tell you. Well, remember I told you I never kept the commandments. I told them I was going to stay and work for them at the hospital, when all the while I was uh, saving my money to go away to art school. And they were training me on the switchboard. I lied. So anyhow, there was a little chapel in the hospital. I didn't know anything about it. I walked in. There were statues there, you know. I walked in that chapel, felt clean. Walked out, felt dirty. Walked in, felt clean. Walked out, felt dirty. I know this sounds crazy to you, but that's exactly what happened. I thought, what is going on here? This is really something. Well, anyhow, came time for me to quit my job. So I told my boss, and he was furious. As you can imagine, I didn't blame him. I had lied to him, and Sister Mary Pauline came up to me, and she did something that shook me. She said, you've made the right choice, child. She knew very well I had lied. She said, you made the right choice. You go right to art school. That's good. You should do that. You know, I had never met anybody that returned good for evil. Never. I was really very shaken. You know, it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's the way I was raised. That's what I thought should happen. And here this beautiful nun said that to me. Well, I loved her. I can't tell you. I loved her even then when I wasn't even a Christian. And I thought, well, that's awful sweet of her, <laughs> you know. And uh, what in the world would make her do such a thing? Well, anyway, I left. And I went right off to art school. And that's where... I don't know why I was in that art school, I was, except that Jesus led me there because the most beautiful Catholic born-again Christian boy walked in the door, and I said to the girl sitting next to me, I'm going to marry that boy. Well, it happened, and that was 48 years ago. My Jewish mama loved him, too. She said he was a prince. Is that a miracle? That's a miracle. She is. <laughs> My daddy wasn't too happy. Well, anyway, <laughs> we got married. Uh, a priest wouldn't marry us because I wouldn't become a Catholic. A rabbi wouldn't marry us because Tom wouldn't become Jewish. So we went to a, some kind of a minister that was a justice of the peace, and I told him, don't you mention the name of Jesus because my daddy will leave the wedding. And I can just hear the angels looking at me and saying, Annette, wait, just wait. <laughs> we were married, and our son was born, and guess what hospital he was born? St. Francis. <laughs> you think I wasn't born to be a Catholic? I mean, isn't this, I'm, I was writing this testimony, I said, Lord, I cannot believe you were on me every single minute. <laughs> the hound of heaven, praise God. 
And that was grace. I, I know it was. It was God's grace calling me, calling me, drawing me. No one can come to the, to the son except that the father draw them. Finally, my mama called me, and she said, Daughter, I think you ought to come home. Your dad is very ill. And I said, okay, and I had my little baby, and we lived in Chicago, and I had to travel back to Iowa. And I remember taking a nap. I went to sleep, and I had a dream. I dreamt that God's hand came down at, on my house and took my daddy right out of it into heaven. Well, that scared me a lot. So I got on the train, and I went home, and I had remembered a year prior to that visiting my family. When my daddy called me into the living room, he had a bad case of the flu. And he said, Annette, come over here. I want to talk to you. And I said, what is it, Daddy? He said, I want you to read the New Testament. Daddy had taken a course in relative religion. While we were growing up, he wanted to get his degree. But anyway, he um, had read it. I said, Daddy, we're Jewish. Why do you want me to read the New Testament? I couldn't imagine why he would want me to do such a thing. And then he said it again, I want you to read the New Testament. I said, Daddy, he never asked me to read a book in his life. And I said, why would you? I don't believe in Jesus. We don't believe in Jesus. Why would you want me to read it? Again, he said it. I want you to read the New Testament. With that, his entire face changed. I didn't know anything about anointing or Shekinah glory. What did I know about burning bushes? I mean, I didn't know anything. I just knew that my daddy, something was happening to him, and I sort of felt like Scarlett O'Hara, well, I'll think about it tomorrow. Of course, now I know. You know, if you even give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in my name, he was telling me to read the New Testament. He was saying yes to Jesus with the little light he had. And doesn't our holy Catholic Church teach about the baptism of desire? I read that in Vatican II, and I thought, yes, I'm in the right church. Okay. He had a little bit of light, but he acted on it. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. I'm back in the, in the we took, a, was it a plane or a train? I think it was a train I took to Iowa. So we got, I, I try not to be too detailed. I'm so Jewish. <laughs> So I get home, and I go right to the hospital to see my daddy, come back home. I left my little boy with my mom and my sister, and my sister looked horrible when I got home. She had just called the doctor and found out daddy had three months to live. He was dying of lung cancer, and she was terrified to tell me. My world had fallen apart, and I was the oldest, and I, everybody was looking to me to save them. I can't even begin to tell you how I felt. I'd never touch him again. I'd never see him. I loved him. I loved him with all my heart. Daddy wasn't perfect, but I loved him. And I loved Mama, and we just looked at each other. And my little brother, Michael, was four. We were going to lose him, and he was only 48 years old. It was, I, was, I was devastated. But then I thought, I have to do something. Everyone is counting on me, you know, the oldest. So I got up, I was shaking inside, and I said, we're going to the synagogue. We're going to the temple, we're going to pray for Daddy. He parted the Red Sea, he can heal Daddy. And so my sister and I got in the station wagon, we went to the synagogue. It was a Friday night, uh, it, was, it was early, it was on a September eve. And um, all the way there, my, my baby sister Rita was crying. And I, I couldn't cry, you know, I have to be strong. So I couldn't cry, let her know that I was weak. I was probably a lot weaker than her. So we get to the temple, 
and uh, we look in the parking lot and we've noticed there's no cars there and usually it takes nine we, we want to have at least nine men for a minion and before they can start a service we were a little suspicious I said maybe the doors are locked and we can't get in and I uh, and my sister just started crying all over again oh no even God is locking us out there's no hope and so we um, decided to walk up to the synagogue and we did, and I said, well, we can always go back and pray in the car if we have to. We're, we're by the temple. And so we walked up to the synagogue, and the doors were, they were shut. And we walked around the back to the chapel. Those doors were shut. We walked back to the front. It was kind of getting a little, uh, a, a, a little dark, and we stood there, and then I fell apart. I fell to the ground, sobbing hysterically. And my sister's looking down at me. I was 23, she was 17, and she thought, there, there goes her last hope for any strength or anything. And she remembered how we used to drive past the church, St. John's Cathedral in Des Moines, Iowa, and she took her fist to heaven, and she spoke to God like Jewish people do, and she said this, if this were a church, those doors would be opened. And with that... They opened. Right in front, I'll never forget it until the day I leave this earth, and I will never, never, never forget it. We were petrified. <laughs> Absolutely petrified. We didn't know what opened those doors. We hadn't read the New Testament. If any two, two or three of you ask anything in my Father's name, he will do it for you. We didn't know that. We, we remembered St. John's. The doors opened. We went back to the chapel. That door was wide open. The chapel light was lit. My sister Rita goes through the whole synagogue. Where, who's here? Oh, she, I knew it was God. I absolutely knew it was. There was not a doubt in my mind. And I went into the uh, chapel in the synagogue, and I did something that that I had never done as a Jewess. I went to my knees and I began to pray and plead for my daddy's life. As my sister's looking through the whole synagogue, who's here yelling, oh, the gift shop, the, the, every place she's going, you know. And so um, she came back up to me and, and she said, Annette, there's no one in this building. I said, of course not. What's the big deal if God could open the Red Sea, if he could feed a quail from heaven? He's got, you know, I remember those stories as a child that my grandfather had taught me. I remembered them well. So he opened the doors for us. We wondered why he did. Please save Daddy. Well, we got home and told Mama. She had called the synagogue. She was worried sick about us. Oh, I forgot to tell you something. Most important thing, my husband always reminds me. We're, we're coming out of the synagogue after the doors. We prayed for Daddy, had opened for us. We got back in the car. They remained open as we got back in the car, not a car in the parking lot. And um, above the synagogue was a huge... A, quite a big star hoovering like a helicopter above the temple. I thought, this is like a Walt Disney movie. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't even imagine, the two of us. I mean, we're watching all this. We can't even, we had never read, you know, Mary is the morning star, Jesus Christ is the bright morning star. What did we know garnished about the old, or the, in the New Testament? We knew a little about the old, not very much, but we did. And um, so there it was, hoovering. We watched it ascend 
into the sky. By this time, it's very dark. The doors are still open. We can still see them, and we walk we walk back into the parking lot, get in the car, drive home, and a really miracle happened inside of me. I had been broken, totally broken, moments before, and I had the strength, I think, of a Popeye the Sailor Man. <laughs> well, anyway, I really, I mean, I felt, oh, the power of the resurrection. I mean, I was so strong, I could take care of my family, I could do anything. I couldn't believe it was that, that grace infused right in us. I mean, we had gone to the synagogue to pray for our daddy and met our heavenly father that somehow opened those doors for us. We were filled with joy. We came home, we told mama, and she said, yes, yes, children. I called some of the men from the synagogue. You couldn't have gotten in those doors. They were doubly locked. The rabbis on vacation pri prior to the high holy days. There's no way you could get in. Uh, he's in Florida, and they closed those doors and double locked them because there were burglaries this week. You, you couldn't have gotten into the, this. We did, Mama. The doors were open, God opened. No, no, no. I think I'm going to call and, you know, we'll get some sedatives. You're all upset because of your father. And, uh, you know, and here we're all excited and we're so happy. And we, God had done a miracle for us. And the Mama didn't believe us. My husband didn't believe me. How do you like that? I remind him of it every time I tell the story. So anyway... <laughs> I had so much grace that I was able to take care of my whole Jewish family. My father, as you know, I had the dream that he was taken to heaven, so he did die. But while he was in the hospital, at the Veterans Hospital in Iowa, a, a very tall, beautiful man walked in. And on television, um, guess what was playing? The Ave Maria. Perry Como was singing it, and my daddy was lying there with several other men. And this beautiful man walked in. He was due to have surgery the next day. And he pointed at the television set in front of my daddy and I, and he said, that is the most important thing in this world. Loud, and everyone in the ward heard it. He walked out, and the next day he had open-heart surgery, and he, he had died. Wouldn't you say, God, you know, Jews need signs. Here I am getting all these signs everywhere I go, no matter where I turn, even in the hospital. It was just an incredible experience. I had to tell you about that. After Daddy died, we all moved to Chicago, and I joined a temple called Beth Orr. My husband said, fine, just go ahead and join it, you know, and he came. He was the only Gentile uh, around, and um, the rabbi was an atheist. Would you believe that? Well, he called himself a humanist, but he was getting around to atheism. He was leading everybody down the whatever, whatever it was. But. <laughs> and I started to get really mad at God. He had taken my daddy, and I loved my daddy. He was just beautiful. You would have loved him. A wonderful personality, and he was just a laughing boy and full of life. and Nothing like those Jewish men, right? Jesus. And all of you, you're Jewish. I told you the church is Jewish. So anyway, I started going down, down, down. You know, anger really leads you that way. I was very, very angry at God. And you know, what do you do when you're angry at someone? What is the first thing you do? You stop what? Talking to them, thinking about them. I started reading books. Ayn Rand and the temple was very... Uh, 
Uh, the rabbi was very, very uh, intellectual, was something I never was. But I was going to become an intellectual because I wanted to become Mrs. Beth Orr. I was so busy running from God, and I thought, well, if you did a little work in the synagogue, you could get real popular fast. So I spent a lot of money, and I started to work real hard, and I, I became the president of a woman's club, and I didn't even know what I was doing. I was a secretary to the president of the synagogue, and he, he was, by the way, he was converted after I was, oh, another story, I could be here all night. But anyway, he, um, uh, he just liked me, so he let me be a secretary, and I couldn't, I couldn't even take notes, and <laughs> it was really bad. <laughs> so I became a humanist, atheist, I don't know what I was. I was reading Socrates and Plato, didn't even know what they were talking about. And, and I was trying to appear very smart and intelligent in front of all these people in the synagogue. My sister Rita kept saying, Annette, don't you remember the temple doors? Don't you remember? I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about it. So I ran away from God and ran away from my responsibilities as a wife and a mother. And, a, and uh, I can remember... Um, my marriage really failed, and I'll tell you how it failed. We went to a party once, and Tom was a wonderful artist. They told, they told us at the party to draw a picture of our spouses. <laughs> Do you know what he drew? A perfect witch. Yeah. I thought, huh, how can he do this to Mrs. Beth Orr? I was real popular in the temple, not at home. <laughs> well, I was on a downward spiral, you know, and uh, I didn't know anything about sin or repentance or any of that stuff, but boy, oh boy, was I ever entangled. The devil had a hold of me, and um, I was really working for him. I remember being diagnosed with an illness, oh, some, some silly illness, Psittacosis, this Jewish doctor told, it, told me I had it just to make me happy because he couldn't find anything else wrong with me. <laughs> I looked it up and it was fatal. <laughs> I know, I, I could not believe, I could not believe it. I thought, oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> Best thing that ever happened to me. I went to the hospital. I really had a kidney infection. <laughs> I went to the hospital. <laughs> My life is so funny. I went to the hospital, and I got there, and all of a sudden, I could see Michael. My little brother Michael came to live with me. By that time, Mama was not too well, and so he, he came to live with me and Daniel. Daniel must have been about seven, and Michael eight or nine. They'd look up at the hospital window, wonder when the world was wrong with me, and, uh, and I'd look down at them, and all of a sudden... I started to take a look at myself. It was pretty shocking. I thought, I am that witch. That's exactly what I am. Well, I'm going to be good. I'm going to change. Forget that temple. What good is Socrates, Plato, and all these big windbags? What good are they doing me? I, I, I don't need any of that stuff. I, I'm, I'm going to change. I'm going to be a perfect wife and mother. I'm going to do, you know, try, try to do this without Jesus. Let me tell you. Oh. So I decided I, I, I felt horrible. I felt convicted. I wouldn't have known that word to say, but I, I felt I'm going to be good. I'm, you know, 
I'm, uh, who was it? What was her name? Little Annie Frank, yes. What did she say? Most people want to be good, but they don't know how. Okay, well, I certainly didn't know how. I tried and tried, and the more I tried, the more I fell, and I had a terrible nervous breakdown. I don't know many, how many of you have ever had a nervous breakdown, but God called it a nervous breakthrough. But I had this horrible nervous breakdown, and I, well, that's when he started talking to me. And I had this horrible nervous breakdown, and I couldn't sleep, and I couldn't eat. I lost a lot of weight. It was wonderful. And... <laughs> Yes, Lord. I'm laughing about it now, but let me tell you, it was like going through hell. It was the worst torture. It was like in Pilgrim's Progress, I guess, trying to find out who I was, where I was going. Uh, I just, I tried to clean the house. I couldn't even move because remember, I had that kidney infection they hadn't diagnosed. And here I am with a nervous breakdown, and I can't eat. You know, by that time, my mother and my sisters couldn't stand me. My brother didn't like me anymore, and my husband wanted a divorce. But then, he, then guess what happened to him? Oh, God is so good. God gave him a dream. He dreamt that I was in a Pentecostal church praising in tongues. So how could he divorce me, right? <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> uh, you see why I'm in love with Jesus. So anyway, he didn't say anything. He just watched me as I'm walking around and I'm crying in corners and I'm miserable and wretched. Well, one night I decided I needed to get out of here. For some reason, people think that if they're going to commit suicide, they're going to get, you know, they're going to have peace. Well, I thought... <laughs> They're going to have to understand because I've got to check out of this world. I can't take this anymore. I had gone without eating. I had gone without sleeping for months. And I was really tortured. Now I know. Now I know that was God's purgation. I know that it was on my soul. And I was just tortured. I can't even begin to tell you. And I have nothing but empathy, total empathy for people that get there. And I was lying in bed one night. And I had never read any of the New Testament, ever, 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 very little of the Old my grandfather told me a lot. I had never, never read, except that ye be born again, you shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The wind blows where it wills. No man knows where it goes or where it comes from. So it is with those who are born of the Holy Spirit. I never read that, ever. So I'm lying in bed, contemplating suicide. This is it. I'm out of here. I planned my, my, my uh, death. I was going to drown. And it started to rain. And I was annoyed. <laughs> are we nuts? Are we nuts? Are we? And I'm thinking, why is it raining when I'm going to drown? You know. <laughs> so anyway, I was about, about 30 years old at the time. And, and I'm thinking, but who's going to love my husband and my children like I do? Who's going to love them? And I'm, you know, wrestling back and forth. Well, so what? They'll have to get along with. They're better off with a maid in the house. I was a sloppy housekeeper. And, you know, I laid there, and all of a sudden, the bushes by my house, I'll never forget it, they started to move with the wind. That wind hit me. I was out of my body and into the universe, and there are no words that I can describe to you that experience. Except that you judge a supernatural experience by the fruit of it. I was up into the universe. The planets were whirling around me, and I heard 
I heard just, just beautiful sounds. I can't even describe it to you. St. Paul talks about it, being out of his body, you know. He talks about that experience. Oh, when I read that scripture, I knew it was kosher then. So anyway, all of a sudden I started to cry out for my husband. And then I heard the sweetest voice. Oh, you don't want to die. I said, no, no, I don't. And this is all in the spirit. And the moment I said that, I was right back down in my body, and I was petrified. I figured I needed to go to South Elgin State Mental Hospital, that I was hallucinating, that I was out of my mind. I mean, you would figure that, right? Except I no longer wanted to kill myself. So I laid there. I didn't want it to come back. I was really kind of scared, that wind, you know. And the next morning, I got up, and I walked into the living room, and I heard, Welcome home, daughter. I am your heavenly father. I said, what? I will make you a perfect wife and mother. I thought, okay, I'm nuts. I am really nuts. So I sat down on the couch and I thought, gosh, this is a trip. And I wasn't on any pills. I don't want you to think I took any pills. And I did, you know, here I wanted to kill myself, but I didn't want to take any pills. Okay, so... I sat down on the couch, and I thought, I'm really nuts. The telephone rings. It's my Jewish best girlfriend from Iowa. She went away, became a psychiatric social worker. She wanted to go come back to the University of um, Chicago and get her doctorate degree in psychiatric social work. Could she stay with me? I said, yes. You want to come in and stay with a nut? I've been in the universe. I have just found God. You want to come in? Come right ahead. Do you know what she said to me? Now you need to find his son. I said, Francine, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? She had been converted a year before. She'd given her heart to Jesus Christ. She and her brother both, her brother's a minister now, and Francine is now becoming a Catholic in the church. It took years, but, <laughs> but anyway, I said, I don't want to talk to you about this. I'm not going to be a traitor. Why are you saying things like this to me? I was so offended. She saw C at O'Hare Airport. She gave me her flight number. We'll talk then. She hung up. And I thought, she's the one that went to college, and so she thinks she knows everything. Tommy, would you please go and get me a New Testament? I would like to read a New Testament. My husband was out that door like you can't even imagine. I had to read it before she came in because I was going to argue with her. <laughs> Anyway, I read it, and I started to fall in love. I thought, he's the most beautiful man I've ever heard. He, he's a lot like Sister Mary Pauline. He's the most beautiful. Why'd they have to beat him up? I know how that felt, calling me dirty Jew and everything when I was a kid. I know what it felt like to be persecuted. What did they have to do that to him for? And I mean, I would see what was happening. I can't even begin to tell you what happened to me when I read that New Testament for the first time. All the things that had happened to me as a child. And I remember when he was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. So I thought, yes, they, they were Pharisees. I'm glad he's, he, that man's got chutzpah, that Christ. <laughs> I mean, he really does. He's not afraid of anybody. He tells it like it is. I like that. I just so, I began to admire him. I did. And then I thought to myself, but is he the Messiah? And, I th and then I'm thinking, well, <laughs> you've been up the universe. God is talking to you. Why don't you ask him? <laughs> so I said to God, I said, Father, is Jesus your son? And he said, my daughter... 
I've waited years to tell you, hear ye him. Well, in the Jewish fashion, I ran from one end of the house to the other, screaming out, crying to God, what about my Jewish family? Why did you wait so long to tell me? 30 years, I didn't know he's the Messiah. He's the son of God. Why did you do this? I'm yelling at God, yelling at him. I'll save your whole family. Every one of them will become Christians. And every one of them today, including some of my cousins that are coming, my aunts and uncles, every one of them except my brother Michael, and he's coming and said he was praying for me tonight, have become Christians. Okay. I got to hurry because you haven't even heard my Catholic experience yet. So... <laughs> So anyway, after that happened, I said, Father, he's your son. Oh, I was so excited. You never have to be afraid again, daughter. You never have to be afraid again. You see, Jewish people are so afraid. We're so afraid to die. We're afraid to live. So many of us. First of all, I said, I want a pieta. I told my husband, get me a pieta. We had seen the pieta um, in um, New York when it was here. And I was, of course, I, I had thought no one could have done that work of art without divine supernatural intervention. No one. It was the most magnificent work of art I'd ever seen. And I said, there must be something to this Jesus. And, and uh, if Michelangelo could do that, it, he couldn't have done it without God's help. There would have been no way. And I knew it. And I said, I want a pieta. I want a rosary. And I want books about the saints. And I want, I want an altar, a little altar. Yes, I said all that. He went out and he did it. He built me an altar and everything and so where I could pray. I wanted a place in my house where I could pray. And so by the time Francine got there, <laughs> oh gosh, I can't believe it. Well, needless to say, we spent weeks and weeks and weeks sharing the scriptures, opening the Bible, listening to God together, learning. And one of the first things he taught me, ladies, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Well, the candles went on the table and all the food when he came in, and I'd smile when he came in the door, you know. <laughs> and I had won him for the devil. He, was, he had left the church. Uh, he'd had it with me practically. And God told me, well, you have the power now to win him back for Christ. So I got busy and rolled up my sleeves, and I thought, I, I'm going to be the sweetest little wife you ever saw. It worked, too. <laughs> I held my big, handsome, six-foot-tall husband in my arms as he wept all night, giving his life back to Jesus. Let me tell you, God's word works. Try it. It works. Finally, um, I moved to Huntley, and I was in love with the Messiah, in madly, madly in love. I was absolutely sunburning everyone around. All my Jewish family, everyone, I told everyone about Jesus everywhere I went and keep my mouth. I had a lot of, one minister said, Annette, you've got, you've got a lot of enthusiasm and very little knowledge. And he was right. <laughs> I moved to Huntley, Illinois, and all of a sudden, sufferings happened one after another. My brother Jack, who was mentally ill, was, uh, had uh, three quarters of his liver cut out, and my sister Marlene was in an automobile accident where she had brain damage. 
And uh, my brother Michael, who I was raising, had Crohn's disease. The suffering started coming one after another. And oh, I was so grateful to Jesus because now I could suffer and I didn't have to think God was punishing me. I mean, he reversed the whole Old Testament. Suffering is redemptive. God permits it so that good can come from it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So I knew that nothing but good would come from these sufferings, nothing. My nephew David had a hole in his heart this big, and I was witnessing to my sister Rebecca during that time. He was at Children's Memorial Hospital, and they told, they told her he'd have to have open-heart surgery. She was petrified of surgery. I had my cross on, and I said, Jesus can heal him. And she, she oh, don't tell me about this, Jesus. She even told my other sister to tell me to shut up, you know. So she goes to the hospital. My brother Jack is in one hospital. My, my nephew David is another hospital. And my Aunt Molly is at the house, my sister's house with me, saying, take off that cross or your brother and your nephew will surely die. I said, Aunt Molly, if I take this cross off, they will die. Jesus will save them. I'll never forget the night. My baby sister walked in the back door of her house. Aunt Molly and Uncle Saul were still there. And she said, Annette, tell me about this Jesus. The doctor came out and said, Mr. and Mrs. Markovich, you've had a miracle. Your son's heart has closed. The next morning, we were told my brother Jack would not make it through the night. He had an infection. He was going to die. We knew Jackie suffered a lot, but we loved him. We wanted him alive. We didn't care whether he was mentally ill. We just loved him. And I loved him and begged God. And, I, I, and God, the Lord told me, you tell your husband that your brother's going to live. I did. He said, Annette, you better prepare yourself. He's going to die. I said, no, honey. God told me he's going to live. The next morning, we got a phone call from the hospital. My brother was fine. And he lived another 25 years. Uh, lots of exciting things began to happen. I went to this beautiful Pentecostal church, and of course, remember that dream? I was on my way. I was on my way to the Catholic Church, yeah, but I uh, had a little stopover, and they were... <laughs> Boy, they taught you how to pray through everything, and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, and then all of a sudden, Catholics started coming out of the woodwork. A, a little gal named Marge who wanted to be a nun. Annette, don't you read the Bible? It's his body and blood. I said, don't bother me with that. I, I know it's his, I believe it's his body and blood. Well, then why aren't you a Catholic? I said, well, I don't know why I'm not a Catholic. They were awful mean to me as a kid. And uh, she said, Annette. And I thought, Lord, okay, I'm going to go ask him. I may as well ask him, Lord, you want me to become a Catholic? Yes, daughter. I want you to become a Catholic. I condescended to dwell among your people. Will you not condescend to dwell among mine? Well, I'm fighting this and struggling with this, but I noticed something. I did not feel one with Christ. I, I couldn't explain it to you, but there wasn't, there was something missing, and I was so hungry, and I didn't know it was the Eucharist. Of course not. What did I know about, you know, the body and blood and all this stuff, you know? That, and um, so guess where God moves me? my family, Kansas City, Missouri, 1977, the biggest Catholic renewal that ever hit this nation. There I was, Mother John Marie, Cardinal Sewins, uh, Maria Von Trapp, 
I mean, just needless to drop a few other names. There I was, and he sends me to St. Teresa's of the Little Flower Catholic Church to inquire about becoming a Catholic. So anyway, nine months I saw these, this prayer group go up and receive communion, come back roses, droves of roses. I thought, I want that. I want that. There's roses coming out of those people. Well, maybe it's just perfume. You know, it's, it's got to be perfume. They treated me as if I was Queen Esther or something that had arrived uh, in, the, in the prayer group. They were all after me. Monsignor Moser, I said, I don't believe in any of this stuff. I, I don't know what I'm doing here, but Jesus told me I should become a Catholic. That's all right. You come on in. What an angel he is. And in the meantime, we're at Arrowhead Stadium praising God, and I had the first apparition of, of my life. I had asked for one. I wanted to see Jesus outside of myself, and I got a flash picture while everyone was praising and worshiping the Lord, and I got this picture of Jesus. His face was magnificent, and you know, I love art. You couldn't paint it. There's no way you can. And another little quick picture of him bending down with thorns over his head. And I thought, oh, I saw the Lord. I said to Tommy, I saw God. Yeah, yes, Annette, that's right. You know, I've never had another one since, but oh, it was magnificent. That was to say what the rest of my life would be, that I would learn purity through suffering. Uh, he gave me those two apparitions. Remember, it's not because I'm good, because I'm not. It's you know, only God is good, but it's because Jews need signs, remember? And he wanted to give me a real big sign to get me in this church. So I decided, okay, so I don't believe in this and I don't believe in that. He said to go, go. So it's, what is it, Holy Saturday night when you come in the church? Yeah. Well, this was on the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, Friday night. So I was still fighting. Jesus, I had went to nine months of this, I don't know, catechism. It wasn't RCIA then. Baltimore, what is it? Boston? I don't know. But anyhow, <laughs> I didn't learn a thing. And I said, what is, what is this business, uh, novenas? I don't know what they're talking about. And, and I thought, this is so confusing. Lord, I just can't do this. I can't go into this church. Mama said, Annette, it's all right. You're a Christian. You have to become a Catholic. And I said, Mama, I do. The Lord told me to do it. I've got to do what he says. I like to obey him. So I said, Lord, please give me a dream. Please give me a dream. I I'm scared to death to come into this church. I don't agree with any of it. It's not right. It's, you know. So I went to sleep, and he gave me the most beautiful dream of my life. I was in Rome. I was at the Vatican. I'd never been there. I was on the porch. I I've been there since of the Vatican, and I saw the Lord about 50 feet in front of me, and he was glued to the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my life. Just glued to her. I wish I could paint it. I wish that I could. And uh, they were just one. They were totally one. I thought, that's what I want. That's what I've always wanted. I want to be one with him like that, just as she is. Finally, she walked away, and I walked up to him in my dream. I thought, good. My turn. <laughs> no. Instead, he put his arms around my shoulders, and he led me down the porch into the garden, and he led me to this beautiful priest that I had known who had given life in the spirit seminars at St. Teresa's. The Lord said, listen to him. And I thought, I was brokenhearted. I was just brokenhearted that he would not allow me to enter into that relationship. And the priest, by the way, happened to be Jewish. <laughs> he turned and looked at me, and he handed me a book, and the book said, in the fullness of Christ, he said to me, in the dream, go home and read this. So I woke up, and I thought, I really didn't know what the dream meant except for the fact 
that that oneness I knew instantly was the Eucharist. It was the Eucharist. If I would receive the body and blood of Christ, I would be one with him like she was. I didn't know it was our blessed Jewish holy mother, Miriam. What did I know about that? So, But I thought, okay, I'm going in the church. I want that. That's what's missing. That's what I need to have. So I flew in the church. I've been at Mass every single day unless I couldn't make it, you know, ever since then. But anyhow, here I was in the church, a cafeteria Catholic. I believed in the Eucharist and picking and choosing other things that I sort of believed in. Guess what God did? He sent me to Texas. Guess who he, he sent me at the University of Dallas on a weekend course? Father Mitch Pacwa. Can't believe it. Dr. Uh, Marcellinus D'Ambrosio, Father Paul Hannabush, who was spiritual director to Mother Teresa's nuns in, are in uh, Dallas, Texas. All of these beautiful professors gave me a crash course in the Catholic Church. I said, over that weekend, the doors of the Catholic Church opened for me. I said, it's all true. The whole thing, the whole thing is true. Purgatory, the saints and angels, the magisterium, the church triumphant, the church suffering, the church militant, it's all true. I've been sitting on a gold mine. I didn't even know it. I mean, it was just there. Oh my gosh, I just couldn't believe it. And then I was in love with his church. I was in love with it. And I went to Corpus Christi. I consecrated my life through the Schoenstock Shrine to um, the Blessed Virgin Mary. I was scared to death to do that, but I did. I, I gave my life to Mary, and guess what she gave me? Magnificat. Okay. I want you to pray with me tonight that the veil will be lifted from my people and that like me, they will know their Messiah and his holy Catholic apostolic church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We hope you have been touched by Annette Baber's inspiring journey, and so we thank her for truly proclaiming his marvelous deeds. And for more information or a copy of the broadcast, please write us at Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. Once again, got your pencil handy. It's Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. We know that some of you prefer calling, so please do so toll-free at 800-500-4556. In addition, if you would like to know more about the Magnificat ministry, including the location of a Magnificat chapter in your area, please call us at 504-828-MARY. That's 504-828-6279. Or you can visit the Magnificat website at www.magnificat-ministry.org. On behalf of Magnificat Proclaims, this is Donna Ross, inviting you to join us next time as we present more personal testimonies from our inspirational Catholic speakers. Until next time, may the peace of Christ reign in your hearts.
so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.